Welcome to the Why Weight Elevate podcast, where we share key information to help you lose weight the right way and then transition to a lifestyle that helps you keep it off. Our hosts are experts in obesity medicine and have collectively treated thousands of patients for obesity and are here to help you on your own journey. All four of us are busy parents, so we totally understand what it's like to try and live healthy while also trying to stay on top of the busy demands in our life. Thanks for taking time in your busy day to join us. As some of our hosts have medical licenses, we have a legal disclaimer to share with you. Here it is. Please note that our podcast is not intended to, and shouldn't be considered, a substitute for professional medical advice from a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional. You should always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare professional with questions you may have regarding your medical condition. You should not rely on this podcast for medical diagnosis or treatment, and you should never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of our content. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Why Wait Elevate podcast. I'm, this is Quincy here. I'm here with Ron and Cheryl. Today, we are going to take a little bit of a break from our diet discussions, and we are actually going to talk a little bit about mental health and diet and the interplay between those two. So I came into this podcast ready to go to have a, an in-depth um, discussion, shall we say, or a fight between Cheryl and Dr. Rigby about which one's more important to focus on when trying to lose weight, whether it's diet or whether it's your mental health side of things. I had in my head that Dr. Rigby was team diet and Cheryl was team um, mental health, like team Edward, team Jacob, that kind of a thing. But they've kind of corrected me and it, it's kind of all interrelated. But to start off this discussion, I want to start out, Dr. Rigby, tell me why you focus so much on diet as you're working with patients to live healthy, lose weight. I feel like diet plays a key role in how the whole body functions. And I look at, I look at food as fuel. So if you have a car and you get everything fine tuned and put all this money into, I'm not a car person, so I'm not going to give a lot of details, but I'm fine tuning aspects of the engine, but I put diesel in an unloaded car. It's not going to work very well. No bueno. So why? puts focus on all your time and effort to make it all look fancy and upgrade all these things if we're putting this wrong, wrong fuel. So going back to the human body, let's put the right type of fuel into your body. Therefore, all these other aspects can improve, be it emotional, underlying um, mental issues, be it your diabetes, your cardiovascular issues, be it your joint problems. Let's start with the fuel aspect and everything can improve. And if not, then we go focus on those one particular aspect. Basically, the argument is that the type of food that we're ingesting has such a huge role and affects our overall health and well-being, which can lead to obesity, diabetes, that if we can change or adjust what we're eating, that will affect everything else. Very true. Okay. Cheryl, I want your rebuttal. Okay. Uh, I take it... Uh, I agree with Dr. with what Dr. Rigby says, but I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach because um, if you're someone who struggles with emotional eating, binge eating, um, anxiety, depression, whatnot, okay. um, it can be really intimidating to just throw in, per se, a diet. So where I don't agree with is I don't think we should have these people on diets. I think we should have them just improve their eating habits, focus there, and then with the hope that the mental health and everything improves. But if you don't fix those habits and those behaviors, you will not get the long-term sustainable results that you're looking for. I can put you on a diet and you will lose weight and you'll do it very quickly. But what happens after three months, six months, gotcha. a year? Because what we're trying to do is make something that's sustainable. 
if you want this sustainable, then you have to dig a little deeper, deal with these underlying emotions and the behavioral and the, and the mental health aspects. And that's what's going to give you a long-term sustainability. But that's why I use the idea of fuel, not diet. True. Okay. So okay. you really do. You, whether No matter what we're dealing with, you have to put good, healthy food in your body. If you are an alcoholic, it, it, you can say, well, don't go to the bars and don't bring the alcohol in your house and don't hang around those people who would tempt you to drink alcohol, okay. right? Which is you important. Yeah, but you can't do that with food. You absolutely have to have food to sustain life. So you have to be making these good choices day after day. So you, it's not like something we can just abstain from and say, nope, no food. But I, I just don't want the focus to be on the diet culture. So um, so let's say I have binge eating disorder and um, I'm trying to eat healthy. I'm trying to help. But then what happens is, is I might sabotage myself. I yes. might just eat a whole bunch of food. And so then my body's getting more caloric intake or whatever. And so that could negatively affect me as well um, without fixing that. Dr. Rigby. But again, most of the time, again, I'm saying most, not all of them. They're using or usually eating food-like products. So it's usually the processed stuff, the cookies, the cake, the ice cream, the soda. They're usually not binge eating on chicken wings or green leafy salad or ribeye steak or hard-boiled eggs or that type of stuff. Yeah, that true. true, real food, it's they're eating or binging on food-like products. Like that bag of potato chips that I opened just for a few chips and then realized that the bag is empty. Now you're opening the bag of candy or you go take a thing of ice cream. It's like, I'm only going to have a, a scoop or just a small bowl. And you go, but I don't want to dare the bowl. So I'm going to just sit over here and eat it. Now the whole thing's gone. And you're going, I feel bad. So I'm going to go get something to make me feel better. So I'm going to go get a soda or I'm going to go grab something else. And it's usually that processed food, food-like products, as I call it. Gotcha. So we can agree that the best eating plan would be to eat whole food, real food, stay away from all the sugary processed crap. Okay. Yeah. And, and on the mental health side of things, Cheryl, you had mentioned a, a study that was done by Kaiser Permanente that had talked about this interplay. I'm interested to hear about that. Yeah. So back in the 1995, 97 ish area, we did a longitudinal study where we took a bunch of women and Kaiser Permanente said, hey, listen, researchers, we have an obesity epidemic. We don't, we don't know what's going on. It's costing us a lot of money. Fix it. And so the researchers put these women, it was basically an intermittent fasting, a low calorie diet. They lost weight and they did fantastic. And everybody said, hurrah, we, we fixed it. Everything's great. Until about six months, a year later, when all the weight rebounded and came back. Hmm. And so researchers kind of shook their head and said, what the heck? Uh, what's going on here? And what we found is there was a strong relationship between obesity and young early childhood abuse. Oh, interesting. And so this whole designed design um, study turned into, from being obesity, it turned into early childhood trauma and how that affects multiple aspects of our upbringing and our adulthood lives. And that obesity was a symptom or meant like one of the re symptoms that came from that yes. abuse. Which is why I say you really have to, if, if you're someone who has been on and off this diet wagon your whole life and you've been on this cycle and you're just not getting the answers no matter what diet that you try, maybe look a little bit deeper and see what, are, are there any other underlying issues that I need to deal with? Okay. What are some ways to do that? Therapy would be the number one way. Okay. Um, let's throw in a huge plug for therapists and mental health providers. 
they're kind of getting slammed right now with the yes. with the pandemic and whatnot. But these guys are so highly trained and specialized. They know what they're doing and they know how to help you. But the difficult part, at least in my perspective, and that they are good, so don't don't take it wrong, mm-hmm. is finding a therapist that you relate with, because they might have the skills and have the techniques, but you as my kids call it, call it Charlie Brown, they're talking and you're hearing nothing. So part of it is finding that relationship that you find something that can help you, but you actually have a, feel comfortable with. So unfortunately, a lot of times at first, it's more of I'm going for almost like an interview to go see if this is a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, I hate to say it, but move on. And even with the doctor, if it's not a good fit, move on. Agreed. We got to find somebody that's good for you. But I always tell patients also, this is not you just showing up and being entertained or being taught. It's like, go in with the idea that, okay, my goal is to walk out of here with maybe two skills, two new techniques or two new something out of this. Then you might learn 10, you might only learn one, but they're putting effort into it versus, okay, time's going, entertain me for the next 45 minutes Mm -hmm. and let's see what I get out of it. Because if they're not putting the effort towards it, they're not going to get anything out of it. What I'm hearing is if you get a good counselor, they can actually help you identify some of those underlying reasons why you're maybe struggling or, or some issues that you're dealing with from your past that'll help you. Maybe you turn to food as an escape or a, a coping mechanism. And so a counselor can help you identify those. Even just the act of talking out loud and through that, they may be able to help you identify something that you never even realized about yourself. And if you don't have the ability to go see one or can't find one right now, even if you just have a friend that sometimes you can just vent to, Sometimes the idea of just talking can, it's not, it's not as good, don't get me wrong, but it's a stepping stone in the right direction where you're going, okay, I'm willing to do this. Maybe there's some issues. Maybe I need to delve into it more. And that's where the, the therapist and the counselors really come into play. Gotcha. So um, one thing that um, I think a lot about in our society, there's a lot of focus on um image and what our body looks like. And I think about a a phrase that you told me, Cheryl, that said um, back in our scale podcast, you said, unless you love yourself now, it doesn't matter what your scale looks like down the road or what your inches look like. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I I still stand by that statement. Um, What we're looking for, remember, is long-term sustainability. Okay, You want to live your best life with your best health. So in order to do that, you've got to love who you are right now sitting in this chair. Okay. If you don't, it doesn't matter. You will, Every time you get on the scale, you're going to hate yourself. Or every time you look in the mirror, if you hate yourself, that's where it stays. Mm-hmm. You really have to work with that inner dialogue you have and get rid of the negative self-talk. And that's a process. It, 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 I think it's something, and I think, well, I'll, I'll leave it to Dr. Rigby to share his personal story. It, it's something that you work on forever. Yeah. It, it, you just don't overcome it and then that's it. I'm done. I'm great. No, you work on it every day. Dr. Ruby, do you want to share? Yeah, because 15 years or so ago, I ended up in the ER as a patient, not as a doctor, with chest pain. And my top weight was 250 pounds. And I've changed a lot of things. But when I get tired, fatigued, or have those moments, I will at home talk like I'm still that heavy person. I've made a lot of progress. And I get in trouble at home, Uh legitimately (laughs) I should. Because I talk like that. Because that's what my brain goes back to. Is like, oh, you're that old, fatigued, sloppy, whatever terminology. When you're being mad at yourself or beating yourself up, go back to that point. And I get in trouble. My wife goes, you're not there. Go deal with it. Or go take a nap. Because that's usually one of the uh-huh. things that triggers me is I get tired, fatigued, 
and I'm not getting adequate sleep, usually that'll help me. But part of it is we go back to that old self. In fact, I had a patient the other day who has a long journey. He's in his 30s, but had his maximum weight was over almost four, excuse me, 570-ish, if I remember right, who had had weight loss surgery, who Mm -hmm. lost a lot, regained it. We're now down about 200 pounds, and he still struggles with that self-image aspect. Oh, I'm not doing this fast enough. I'm not doing this good enough. Because unfortunately, our society is, oh, you're supposed to be perfect. And we go, oh, that's just a modern thing. No, if you actually go back and look at ancient history, going back to the Egyptians, most of us will think of that there's perfect carvings. They're now tall, skinny. That's what they presented. But if they go look at the autopsies of the mummies and stuff like that, they had underlying, they had obesity, they had underlying coronary artery disease, they had arthritis, they had all the same presentations that we're having now. We just have more tools to help fix some of it or put band-aids on it versus they did. But this is an ongoing problem. This isn't a, it's a modern day issue, but it's been back then also. For a long time, something we've always struggled with. And interesting, the story of your patient that you're telling me, um, there's a huge importance in what he eats and how he's eating, right? But for a long-term sustainable the rest of his life, he's got to be able to figure out ways to be able to address that. You mean work on the mental health aspect? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one, Point of his for big, Cheryl. <laughs> that's one of his biggest struggles is the mental health and the, the depression, anxiety. And he's been doing a lot and he's improved, but you still have those bad days. So again, that's where the debate goes back in. Is it the mental health or, or is it the other aspects? And that's where my perspective I think diet, going back to that stupid analogy of putting the right type of fuel in the car, if we're putting the right type of fuel in, other things improve. It doesn't fix everything. It's yeah. a, just a good starting point. Uh, and let's like a clear delineation that anxiety, depression, these are not easy, simple, you just think happy thoughts and then it's fixed. Yes. There's, there's a biochemical process that's happening in there that's being driven by hormones, environment, genetics. Um, it's just as complicated as obesity. Yeah. And, and so we can't just simply say, and not that we have today, but society, we can't just say, think happy thoughts and we move on. Mm-hmm. Um, think better about yourself and then this will be fixed. A lot of times it's a multifactorial approach where we have to use medication. We use therapy. We use um, growing a garden and uh, meeting new people. All of these things are are how we heal and recover from anxiety and depression mm-hmm. or, or any other underlying mental health problem. But unfortunately, a lot of times when we talk about mental health, we think of below the head is mental health and of, I mean, uh, metabolic opposite. health. Oh. And it's above the head is more mental health. Well, unfortunately, it's all one system. Yeah. It's a different presentation of the same problem. It's inflammation. Some of some people in this realm will actually argue that the depression, anxiety, yes, everything Cheryl says, but it could be just a sign of inflammation in the brain. And yeah, that's so like how they a chicken present. or the egg. Exactly. Is, is obesity causing the anxiety and depression or is anxiety and depression causing the obesity? Yes. Truth is, we don't know. And everybody, I would yeah. say everybody, every person is a little bit different. Right. It's how they present. So that's why I just go back to the idea of how do they present? Well, let's start dealing with it. And how we, how, where the success comes from is whatever works for them. 
which is not a good answer for people who are struggling. I've got to go try something. But, but that's why it's valuable to to work with a, a practitioner who is aware of all these factors yeah. and can help you to guide you in that journey, right? It's one of many tools in your tool belt to help you to be healthier yeah. long-term. Yes. Anything else you guys want to share on this topic? I- um, let me just make a plug for those who are struggling. If you are struggling, there's no shame. There's no embarrassment. There's no guilt. Just ask for help. Yes. And if you love someone who you think might be struggling, just ask. We've got to open up the communication and the dialogue. Yes. But unfortunately, the the thought process out there is, oh, if I bring it up to them and talk about depression, that makes them depressed. Studies haven't shown that. If, you, if you're worried and concerned about it, talk to them. Because if you're not worried and concerned, no, somebody else is going to be worried about or something's bad going to happen. So if you're concerned, bring it up. They might not be willing to talk about it, but at least they know somebody cares. Do you know what the number one... Um treatment or tool for somebody who's having suicidal thoughts is connection. Yep. So you could be that one person to connect with. And it doesn't have to be a best friend. I've, there's just different ways, getting outside, connecting with somebody different, talking to somebody, even having physical contact with people, which is a huge factor now since the COVID. Oh, you're supposed to avoid people by six feet. That's part of the reason is we're not getting out, we're not interacting, and we're not having physical contact with people also. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, guys. This has been a great discussion. Thanks for joining us on the Why Way Elevate podcast. We want to hear what you think about this episode and encourage you to continue the discussion in our Facebook group. The name of the group is Community of People Elevating Their Mind and Body to Lose Weight. Or you can search for our Facebook page, Why Way Elevate, and our group is linked on that page. Also, if you found this episode to be helpful, can you share it with your friends that you think would appreciate listening to it? And if you found our podcast to be helpful, we would love it if you could leave us a review. It really helps others hear about this podcast, and we really want to help as many people as we can. Thank you.